politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, liberty, property, and all that matters, and to see it through to outcomes because we cannot afford to just talk. We are back here, and look, it is our first full week since coming back from vacations, August 28th on Monday, and life and liberty, life They are coming for our bodies. They've killed millions of people from the bioweapons and the vaccines. Liberty, they are targeting us for who we are, for our political beliefs. And property, economy, you will own nothing and be happy. Green New Deal can't afford basic living. Basic items become a luxury. So we're going to focus more on the first two, the life and liberty today. And actually mean it. Actually talk about what do we do about it. We have a special guest coming up later, Brad Geyer, the attorney who has worked on both COVID and January 6th cases. But this is real. This is real. We need an immediate form of redress. I have stated many times that in four weeks, we have a budget deadline for the entire federal government. That is when you address it. Bizarrely, nobody else is doing that. Instead, we have a mugshot. We're going to mugshot our way to victory. This is the new grift. It is shocking. It's almost like they're enjoying it. It's almost like Trump and his supporters are enjoying this. It's almost like they either don't realize that this is serious. They don't believe their own words. Daniel, shut up. I don't want to talk about the border and trendyism and the vaccines and biomedical tyranny and the Green New Deal and inflation. I want to talk about Mr. Trump. So I'm like, all right, well, that's a big deal. They're going to lock him up. And it's not like they might go ahead and target us one day just like they're targeting Trump. They already did. Two and a half years into January 6th. Three years into COVID fascism. And what have we done about it? How is it that they can continue making it worse? COVID's even getting worse now. The stuff they're doing. The J6 prosecutions, unlike Trump who is raising millions of dollars, enjoying himself, playing golf all day at Mar-a-Lago, his supporters that are locked up are in a gulag. How is it that we go on without solving the issue, but we talk about it so emphatically? I mean, certain issues get ignored, but these issues we're talking about, we do have an industry talking about this, but they refuse to do anything because they fill their time with a fake indulgence of the issue with the most superficial nonsense to ensure that we don't actually focus on the right issues and even the issues they claim to care about in the way it matters at the time it matters. That, my friends, is the definition of a controlled opposition. But we are here to give you 2020 vision on what we need to do. And you know, while they walk around blindly, politically at least, A lot of people walk around blindly with glasses. A lot of people like myself who are nearsighted, they never get the right fit. Some people get headaches from their glasses or have problems going up and down steps because of uh, poor depth perception or have this swimming effect when uh, when they wear their glasses. And this has been a big problem with a lot of people. I used to have that before I found better spectacles from Rodenstock. Uh, I have not gotten headaches from my glasses since then. 
And what they do is make you an ethical pair of glasses that allows your brain to fully adjust to them, which in turn uh, gives you relief from all these other symptoms. Rodenstock glasses with their biometric progressive lenses is really the only lens manufacturer that uses the latest technology uh, to, to fully adapt the prescription to your eyes, the lens to your eyes. You'll experience great big wide peripheral vision, which is really the most evident symptom I see from from better spectacles, and also precise depth perception, the largest reading zone of any glasses on the market, uh, without having to have these massive, you know, these ugly massive glasses. So go now to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule your teleoptical appointment today and get 61% off. Your the price today. Go now to betterspectacles.com slash conservative. And I wish my colleagues would have peripheral vision or, in fact, any vision. So what they're trying to fool people on is, oh, my gosh, there's a mug shot. It's going to attract black voters. So this is the latest thing. And it's almost like they get their talking points, just like the liberal media. So now Trump's going to win the black vote. And it, it's just like... On two levels, this is stupid. Number one, the election is not going to fix this. We need redress now, and that's the defund fight they're ignoring. That's number one, controlled opposition. Number two, even on the election front, and, and this has nothing to do with Trump, but any Republican nominee, we literally just went through this the last few election cycles, particularly in 2022 where we had these polls coming out saying that Republicans were going to win an insane share of the black vote. And while there is a slight movement and there has been this realignment over the last few cycles, more so with Hispanic voters than black voters, but the problem is it's not as dramatic as these polls have made it out to be. They were wrong. And for every maybe minority voter, if you want to call it, or non-white voter that they're picking up, they're losing white suburban voters at at least a quicker pace than they're gaining non-white voters. So I, I myself even bought into this a little bit into 2022, but I'm not going to make the same mistake. But it's like, oh, they they like, you know, going after the government on locking people up, so the mugshot's going to help. Again, this patronizing view that you support jailbreak, the same mentality if you support jailbreak and stand down during the riots like Trump was convinced to do in 2020, you'll win the black vote. And it's just, it's just not true. It's a complete grift. This is one of the biggest grifts where you focus on shooting for the moon. I'm going to win the D plus 40 district and then you don't even fight for the R plus 20 districts like we're going to talk about, we have in Mississippi, they're promoting the COVID vaccines in Mississippi. Every red state except for Florida is still pimping the vaccines. They're pimping green energy. They're pimping illegal immigration. They're pimping jailbreak. And we don't focus on that. But we're going to win D plus 40 districts. No. It reminds me of here in Baltimore. So we had this woman and run in one of these districts, a black female. And she put out these provocative videos. And then, and then once she did one, got so much fundraising off of it to produce more with her in mini skirts and high heels, walking through these decrepit neighborhoods and you got to stop voting Democrat. 
And it was an open seat, actually. It wasn't even an incumbent. And when it came time for the election, she did not move the needle one point. And I, everyone was shocked. And I could have told you that. It was obvious to me that, no, I mean, maybe over time, over 10 years, you'll start to pick up one, two, three points here and there. But fundamentally, you have a 70% black district, a D plus 30 type of seat. They're going to win whatever. They're going to win 65 to 70% of the vote. And that's it. You're not going to come anywhere near getting to 51%. So it's just a waste of time. But it's all marketing. And then she became a hero, even though she didn't win a single thing, didn't even win another extra point. She became the local WBAL talk show host in the morning and just trashes DeSantis. It's kind of interesting that I've noticed those who are the most into symbolism and grift are the most disgusted by anyone who's for substance. It's almost a perfect correlation. And that's why I was telling you, because... I didn't understand why all these people, yeah, you might think hey, you like Trump, you still have an affinity for him, maybe DeSantis is not your style, but how do you hate him? It doesn't make any sense because, I mean, every other governor has been 50 times worse. How do you hate the guy who has done more? You might think he could do even more on an issue or two. That's fine, but but how do you hate a guy like that if you believe in your stated views? Again, they're saying pretty much what I say. Different focus, not as much substance, but they say the same things. They're gonna, we're in the gulag and they're gonna attack us. They're taking our life, liberty, property away from us. But it's just talking point deep. They hate substance. Why is Trump obsessed with DeSantis rather than his own fate? I can't figure that out. Is there is there some inside joke that I'm not privy to? How is there no fear that if you don't defund the prosecutions at a federal level and refuse to cooperate, which he can do, and not show up to the Atlanta one, how is there no concern that by this time next year he won't be in prison? How is the election going to even rectify that? And again, this whole business that you're sure he's going to win. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying this about DeSantis or any other Republican that I'm 100% sure. The map is really bad, and it's been bad for three consecutive election cycles. We all thought that there would be this historic wave. Inflation was unprecedented with the melees, and no, nothing happened. If anything, if you adjust for just the way the maps were and reapportionment, Democrats actually won the midterms, which is unbelievable. And then now we're back to it again. He's going to win the black vote. It's such a grift. Why are we fooling ourselves with illusions of grandeur that we don't even need to achieve and won't achieve and refusing to focus on what Republicans do control, which is the red states and the United States House and what they can do on a defund fight, but nothing. We don't focus on it. Well, it's the same reason why we have the COVID shots that are now being pushed upon us again, new shots being funded, as if none of the million safety signals we've had exist. How does that happen? How does that happen? 
It happens because we don't have a movement that focuses on the issues that matter in the way they matter. Very careful with my verbiage there. And at the time they matter. So there's a bunch of shows that they would have me on talking about, oh, how terrible the vaccines are. But there's no follow through. And then when your man promotes the hell out of them, you don't say a word. You don't have a word to say. And look, with inflation too, we're doing nothing about that. We're not going to have a budget fight, even though we should. We'll talk a little bit more about inflation and the budget the rest of the week. But first, our other sponsor today is our friends at Birch Gold. Look, essential banks in countries like China, India, and Australia begin transitioning to digital currency. The Federal Reserve threatening to do that here. You need a bulwark for liberty against this tyranny. You need to have a physical asset that's independent from the U.S. dollar or digital currency. Gold or silver held in tax-sheltered retirement accounts. Learn if gold is right for you by texting Daniel to 989898, and Birch will send you a free info kit on gold with an A-plus rating from Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, uh, and countless five-star reviews. That's why Birch has been helping my listeners for a full year now, including myself. If you have extra money to put into a 401k or traditional IRA, you could put in about 6500 per uh, family member, per, per, per spouse. And rather than putting that into Vanguard, put it into something of value. Again, to find out how to do that, text Daniel to 989898 for your free info kit guide today. So... How you would think in a sane functioning uh, party movement, they would not be able to stick their heads above water to promote the COVID shots anywhere. Yet in Mississippi, they tweeted out the Mississippi Department of Health. They're offering a thousand dollars for churches and businesses to join a program pimping the shots, basically going door to door and convincing people, preaching it from the pulpit. So you talk about a free market. Not only does government fund a market, distribute, absolve of liability for the shots, but then it funds an entire other pot of money for every cultural, business institution, sporting agency, you name it, any influencer to promote Pfizer and Moderna's private product. So basically the aim of the funding is to distribute promotional propaganda urging community members to get even more shots, even more shots. It will train representatives from barber shops, salons, churches, and faith-based organizations as community health advocates to provide vaccination education and materials to their members and clients. And then they're going to train them. They're going to post. Um, uh, they're also going to distribute COVID testing kits and vaccine materials and help local vaccination events. This is not San Francisco. This is Mississippi. This is Governor Tate Reeves. This is Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. And we had an opportunity to get out Delbert Hoseman just two weeks ago, and none of my colleagues joined me, and we lost by seven points. There you go. There you go. Nothing changes. So you have all these governors, Tate Reeves, you know, Sean Hannity would do these panels on the freedom governors that didn't follow Fauci. Tate Reeves will say, I'm, I'm against Fauci. But every one of them, except for every one of them, show me an exception, except for Dr. Latipo in Florida, they have Fauci's running their health departments. Their health departments are literally 
the same as the federal you know, Biden administration. There's no difference. And by the way, on the picture of that promotional, it showed children in masks as if that's a good thing. So you still have them to this day in red state health departments promoting masks. By the way, a new study is out from South Korea showing that elongated N95 use may expose wearers to dangerous levels of toxic compounds linked to seizures and cancer. And this was reshared by National Institutes of Health. The study found that chemicals released by N95s had eight times the recommended safety limit of toxic, volatile, organic compounds. TVOCs, inhaling TVOCs, has been linked to health issues like headaches and nausea, while prolonged and repeated uh, usage has been linked to organ damage and even cancer. So the sad thing is when you see all this sudden stuff, I mean, most of it's from the vaccine, but you got to wonder how much of this elongated the people, especially in healthcare, that have been doing this, how, how much of it is from mask wearing, and we could laugh it off, oh, they're not going to do it. I mean, it's probably not going to be ubiquitous like it was before, but it wouldn't surprise me if in almost every red state they bring it back in all healthcare settings and people go along with it and the state legislatures do nothing and the governors do nothing. This is see, this is what you don't realize. Look, I, I don't think DeSantis has been has run in, in, in an, an emphatic enough campaign. But open your eyes to what the man has done. If you look at every other state, he is 100 million light years above everyone else. That is what is so destructive about the Trump movement. Promoting Christy Gnomes and Tate Reeves and people like that and trashing DeSantis. We have no other paradigm like him. We have no other person coming up in the bullpen to follow that paradigm. This is how broken we are. We have moved the needle not one inch not one freaking inch it's unbelievable three years worth of data on mass two and a half years worth of data on vaccines and it's not only are they not stopping that they're re-promoting it biden is funding another 1.4 billion in new vaccines for covid for rsv for flu and, and, and all these red states, by the way, if you go to their health departments, you could Google it. Um, they're promoting Immunization Awareness Month. Evidently, August is Immunization Awareness Month. And by the way, the red state health departments are rewarding the Biden administration for their malfeasance by promoting their prized symbol. I wish it were only a symbol, but it goes into your body and destroys you. At the same time that they're erasing their only pharmacovigilant system. Um, writing at Brownstone Institute, uh, David Gortler, he's a former FDA official, he noticed that the CDC ended the V-Safe program on June 30th. I, I missed that. So that was the one program, and the reason why they ended it is because it showed a 7.7% rate of clinical-level injury, meaning 7.7% of people in their sample Large sample size. About 250 million got vaccine. Their sample size is maybe 11 million. A lot of people. 7.7% reported having to seek medical attention based on injury. So you know what they did? They just got rid of it. Well, they think, well, the COVID shots are over, so they got rid of pharmacovigilance. No. They have a renewed push 
for the shots, and they're get, getting rid of the pharmacovigilance. Straight up genocide. Yeah. We know we're pushing on this on you, and we want to make sure you don't know about the problems. So we have, we have a team in Mississippi, and I'm going to be working today on this. The county governments need to say no. We need to start. Collier County, Florida did this. We need the county commission to vote to reject all COVID promotional materials. Counties get funding to promote the vaccines. They need to give that money back. They need to reject all federal or state funding. Most of the state funding is from the feds, but they need to reject it all. And this is a trend. Um, we have a bunch of now, these aren't county governments. They're Republican Party organizations within nine Florida counties have called it bioweapons and re- refused to participate. Obviously, you need ultimately the, the county commission to do that, county executive. So this is a huge, huge action item that we need to push. But the point is, to this day, how is it that we can go on for years and have a movement that talks about an issue? That weaponization of government. But J6, nothing has moved on that. Nothing has moved, even though Republicans control the House. How is it that nothing has moved on vaccines, even though Republicans control the House and the red states, you know, they control half the states, and yet they're still promoting it, even in Republican areas? The answer is because we have never had a movement that has made so much of a living off of chronicling this genocide, and then ensuring that nothing is done about it. It's like this stale, stalemate. There's no winning or losing. It just keeps going on. It keeps going on. My, my favorite verse, you know, in Exodus is when Moses comes down from the mountain after, um, after the, they worship the gold calf and Joshua is sitting outside the mountain, waiting uh, outside the camp by the mountain foot, waiting for Moses to come down. And he tells Moses, there, "There's uh, cries of war in the camp." And Moses says, very profound statement that you really need to know the old Hebrew to to fully appreciate it. But this is not a voice of 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 winning in war or a voice of crying shouts of cry for those losing. It's just shouting, just shouting. And some translate that shouting as blasphemy, but they're really the same thing. Because, see, what's worse than having no opposition is a fake opposition. Where, see, if you have no opposition, then you could always come to defeat the bad thing. Obviously. So it was just the mixed multitudes, the fake converts, that joined the Israelites who participated in it. But they made everyone else among the nation diffident and kind of wishy-washy towards it. That was the problem. So there wasn't a clear opposition to it. And that's what the Trump movement is doing. They're filling the vacuum naturally. There would be a rebellion against what the Democrats are doing. So they indulge it, they make noise about it, and then they jujitsu it into a black hole. So they kind of expend everyone's energy on mugshots and this and that, and even when they indulge the vaccines, it's never when it matters and the way it matters. It's never putting pressure on them to get rid of McCarthy. 
Uh, most of the talk show hosts supported McCarthy because Trump supported McCarthy. And then none of them are putting pressure on him to end the August recess. None of them put pressure to, to defund Jack Smith's office, to defund the vaccines. Again, another $1.4 billion into the vaccines. Where is the call to defund it? Nothing. And then in the own red states, how how do things that are in anathema to everything that these talk show hosts say they believe in, how is it that they could occur right under their noses in red states and they don't say anything about it? No one will call them on the carpet. Just like no one will call out Christy Nome on the land grab for a Chinese invested green energy company. It just keeps going on. That's what a controlled opposition is. A controlled opposition is when you fill the inevitable desire because the left knows that when they do things so transformational, there's naturally going to be a lot of disquiet, which will elicit a natural blowback. So they get ahead of the blowback have a movement that yelps about it very, very aggressively. Oh, we need a civil war. And then strategically ensures that A, we do nothing about it. B, we focus on one man. C, we focused on the most hated, unelectable guy that turns everyone off. And then even when it comes to saving the man himself, we do nothing about it. So we, are, we have not resolved January 6th. Not just resolved, we haven't moved the needle one inch. We haven't moved the needle one inch on the vaccines, even masking. We haven't moved the needle one inch on Trump's prosecution itself. Oh, the mugshot's going to win the black vote. Oh, it's all over. Everything you and I care about, don't worry. The mugshot's going to win the black vote. This is literally a summation of... Conservatives, and it's funny, a lot of them are like, I hate the RNC, I hate Rona McDaniel, I'm supporting Trump. By the way, take a listen to this clip of Trump with, you're going to hear Greg Kelly, he's one of these Trumpy Newsmax losers, uh, making noisemakers, trying to blame the RNC for the debates or something, and then you're going to watch how Trump Trump actually turns it around on him. Take a listen to, to these 40, 45 seconds or so. So the RNC kind of seems out to get you. I mean, listen, Fox, Fox is uh, they've turned on you, not all of them, but most of them. And the RNC, uh, they've arranged two debates at Fox News. It seems like they maybe they did that because they had the understanding that you might not be treated fairly over there on Fox News. What do you think of that? No, I think the RNC has been good to me. I, I really do. I mean, you know, they go with, uh, I think Ron is a very good person. We've gotten along for a long time. She ran my whole Michigan area when I won Michigan in 2016. I then did much better in 2020 than I did in 2016, but that's another story. But she ran Michigan and she won. And because of that, I was instrumental in getting her to head the RNC. She's a very good. Folks, you heard that. So first, Greg Kelly's trying to blame the RNC for messing up things. And Trump's saying, no, they actually are very nice to me. I, I, and, and, and he admitted that he had a strong hand in ensuring Rona McDaniel Romney was reelected. Now, obviously, as we well know, they stacked the debates for them. Obviously, they allowed Trump to get away without showing up. They strategically made it that DeSantis won't stand out in any way because 
Uh, they, they made it that every last person qualifies. They stacked the deck for him up and down. So what's so funny is that the conservative commentators always like to blame the Republican Party because they know it's cool. And they don't even know how to properly do it. They misfire. Oh, you're the stupid RNC. And Trump is like, no, actually, the RNC has been really nice to me. <laughs> That's why I supported Rona. They're just so dumb. I can't tell you how many people I've met. I hate Rona McDaniel and, and Kevin McCarthy's a loser. I support Trump. Wait, you, you know that he literally saved McCarthy when we were an inch away from getting him out that second or third day of that speaker's fight. We were an inch away. An inch away. And now we have nothing, nothing but noise. I just want you to guys to know this is how you can go on for several years of so-called exposing the left. We've exposed them, but nothing changes because they're earning money off of the exposure. That's the moral hazard here. We live in a time where until they ultimately pull the plug on these people, Social media has made it so profitable for people just to do this stuff as an end to itself. They, they're enjoying it. This is why, if you watch carefully, they were the most upset about the Twitter censorship. It wasn't the vaccine genocide. It was the censorship of information on the vaccine genocide, which was weird. But that's because as long as it doesn't interfere with their grift, they don't care. They don't feel a sense of urgency that, wait a minute, maybe I have to actually believe some of the words that are flowing from my mouth, and this is a life, liberty, property problem. This is a human survival problem. They are coming for our lives, our bodies, our, our political views. We need to redress that. It's not going to be impeachment. It's not gonna, impeachment is going to be an escape hatch for McCarthy to ingratiate himself to, to the Republican voters to ease the pain of him screwing us on the budget fight. That's what it is. And Trump is... And look, to some extent, I can't even blame McCarthy. He's giving he's giving the conservative noisemakers what they want. They're not asking for what we're asking. So he'll give them the show. No one's even asking to defund the vaccines. But, but never forget... I don't want to hear about the, the prosecutions and Jack Smith and Merrick Garland and the Democrats and the media. You have deep red states where you can do whatever you want. And not only aren't they doing what's righteous, but they're downright promoting the worst aspects of the left's genocide. But I want to get to our guest because our guest is about actually doing something on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they met her. So folks, Brad Geyer is someone who is really the antithesis of what we've been talking about today. He doesn't just point out a problem, but he gets his hands dirty and actually understands that this is an urgent problem. Again, we're talking about today life and liberty. The COVID stuff is life. The J6 stuff, but you know, broad under the broad umbrella of political targeting is the ultimate liberty. These things need to be redressed. Just winning a presidential election in 2025 when it's very unlikely they're going to win at this pace is not a solution in itself. Mugshots aren't a solution. Grifting isn't a solution. Memeing isn't a solution. Republicans have control of the House. 
and there's a funding deadline, something needs to be done. We should have been dealing with this. We should have had a January 6th committee from the moment they took over in, in, in January, doing media, doing investigations, putting out to the public uh, the, the extent of the persecutions. And I'm hearing people saying, man, Daniel, if this goes through with Trump, they're going to come after all of us. I'm thinking, hey, have you been asleep? They did come after um, people. And, and you know, these people are not free to live on the resort. They're in the gulag and nothing is being done. So Brad has been at the nexus of really the top two issues. He worked for, for DOJ for many years, hence former feds group that's the name of his law firm former feds group and he's been doing litigation both for january 6th defendants and for victims of covid fascism remdesivir they have a remembrance project to ensure that we we remember the fourth reich and everything that happened uh to prevent this from happening again the vaccine injury the remdesivir injury there are actually some lawsuits going on there, so we want to have time to straddle both. Uh, Brad, a lot to talk about. I wish I would have saved more time, but welcome back to, to The Blaze today. Thank you, Daniel. It's always a, a pleasure and an honor to be on with one of the greatest thinkers in our movement. Well, thinkers is enough, but we is not enough. We need, we need action-oriented people. And in terms of action, just give people a sense of... Is the intensity of the zealousness of these judges in D.C., has it abated at all in terms of treating everyone as if this was some massive plot to murder all the congressmen so anyone who is within a whiff of the Capitol gets, uh, you know, a bunch of years in prison, or are they still intensifying it? Well, in my humble opinion, and I, I highly respect uh, the, the courts in the D.C. circuit, I practice there. It's an honor to be there. Um, as PROHAC BJ counsel in a number of cases. But when systems devolve to where we are now, it adversely impacts the nation's um, sterling institutions. And the uh, court system is no exception. It seems as if, if you're you know, a member of the judiciary or a clerk, or you're in the U.S. Attorney's Office or the Department of Justice, or just John Q. Citizen, we all were impacted by the coverage in the days that followed January 6th. And as we get now out uh, about more than two years out beyond that, the narrative that we were force fed ad nauseum through repetition and frankly through traumatic uh, presentations of video over and over again are being unraveled. Um, and my, uh, the, the, my, what I'll say to members of the judiciary, the Department of Justice, in my opinion, it got out too far in front of its skis. Perhaps, you know, you could say that it, uh, I believe, wrongly interpreted there to be some kind of a major threat when there really wasn't. Um, I think there was a, a large effort to make it appear as if it was a major threat. Um, but really, all this was was a, um, a protest that went awry. And what has begun to become clear, particularly even in the last month, is that it's going awry had lots of help. It had mm -hmm. lots of help in going awry by leadership of both the House and Senate. It had major help and assistance from the head of the U.S. Capitol Police, at least number two, not, not Sund. I think his hands are clean. Yeah. The, uh, the number Pitney. one, but number two, 
Yogananda Pittman and, and her underlings. And in addition, now, just in the last month, it's, it's been coming out that MPD had undercover assets who were engaged in all kinds of strange um, lulling and coaxing behaviors that could have been clearly misinterpreted by members of the crowd to um, encourage them to go further. Well, that wait story a minute. is beginning to come out. Wait a minute. I want you to elaborate. MPD, that's Metro Police Department. That really shocked Correct. me because I thought if anyone's in on it, it's the FBI. And then obviously Capitol Hill Police. Metro Police? How could they be in on it? But I, and it's hard to deny it. I've seen, I mean, aren't there videos of Metro Police encouraging people to get aggressive? There are videos of Metro Police in, uh, congratulating protesters. In, uh, engaging in chants, um, helping protesters go up the stairs and towards um, the Capitol, sort of um, raising questions about somebody trying to go in the other direction, like, good luck, you're not going to have any, you know, any luck with that. As they walked up the stairs, there's video of uh, MPD officers making light of using things like flagpoles to beat protesters. Um, there's a there's a raft of this information that's beginning to get blasted out, but it's still being withheld by the Metropolitan Police Department. Um, most notably, there's a a um, internal affairs report that came out, heavily redacted, 260 pages, which recounts the behavior of some of the Metropolitan Police Department undercover unit, known as Electronic Surveillance Unit. There were a minimum of 38. They had cam like high 4K cameras. They captured some of the most stunning uh, visual vistas of the event that you can have. Nobody has seen it. Um, Officer Tarek Johnson, um, who's really courageous and been standing for truth and justice and, and getting the full truth out about the um, scope of wrongdoing, really, either it's incompetence that really uh, is, is beyond the pale or something worse. Um, Yogananda Pittman uh, ghosted everyone in, in underneath her in the chain. So if you were an officer who was trying to respond, you didn't know what was around the corner. Um, you had no eyes in the sky helping you, even though Yogananda Pittman and the MPD control center had access to all that video. So when you get, I mean, when you scroll that down to an event, at a roughly around, uh, let's see, 245 to 8 in that range, when Lieutenant Byrd um, is trying to figure out whether he should use excessive force or not, um, he is completely panicked, and he's allowed to be in a perennial panicked state because of an absolute failure of leadership on the part of Yogananda Pittman down through the captains, and what you had is one officer Lieutenant Tarek Johnson standing forward who evacuated the Senate, evacuated the House, um, you know, basically functioned almost as an Audie Murphy on that day while everybody stood around with hands in pockets, paralyzed because there was no leadership. When you're talking about a mass demonstration for which only 25 percent, maybe to a third of the Capitol Police who were supposed to be on were on, um, when you're talking about mass movements of people where people are in close proximity, uh, crowds take on their own behavior. If you're stuck in a crowd, your visibility is limited. 
They're very loud. You really don't have any information other than the crowd is moving in a direction and people typically follow. This has been used to charge people with felonies. Yes, yes. People just simply for being in the in the building, even if they did nothing subsequent to that. Um, before I, I want to get to some of your clients in general to the extent you could talk about them, it was announced with much pomp and fanfare at the beginning of the year when Republicans took over the House that Speaker McCarthy released all of the videos. Is that true or not? Absolutely false. Steve Baker, the pragmatic constitutionalist, um, was scheduled to go back in to see. He, he was going to be provided with a thumb drive of videos that he had requested that show beyond any shadow of a doubt that almost everything that uh, Officer Harry Dunn testified about or spoke about, in my opinion, is false. And I believe that when that story comes out, um, the, the the officer, Officer Harry Dunn, who's essentially the the you know the the calendar girl for for J six yeah. on behalf of police, he is going to be completely discredited. Um, but as best I can tell, nobody has been allowed in after an initial four or five journalists were given limited access. Speaker McCarthy did nothing as far as I can tell to open up the video to the public, because of course, what we never had the benefit of was crowdsourcing. They used really restrictive protective orders to turn everybody into an isolated silo. So every defense counsel, and I'm overstating it for the purposes of making the point, it isn't entirely true, but it's, it's mostly true. Every defense counsel coming in had to reinvent the wheel. Mm. They could engage in very little information sharing, very little collaboration, and no public crowdsourcing. Somebody must have known this, uh, because so somebody words, at the, I, I just want to explain for people that don't understand the legal proceedings here that a lot of you guys were forced to take certain plea deals from day one because the exculpatory evidence, you know, showing that a lot of these people were let in of no fault of their own, that the, that police officers just brought them in, uh, or some, some of these protesters were helping police officers. That video was not available. You need to have a base level of thousands and thousands of hours of uh, review by many people to be able to create a, uh, uh, a reasonable understanding of what actually occurred. It was, it's just so, there's so much activity and behavior and events that are condensed um, in this area that you know, we, we call the, the capital grounds. And I could give you examples, but they're, they're fundamental things that, that we would have needed, for instance, regarding uh, the Oath Keepers trial, the first Oath Keepers trial, I had Ken Harrelson. Thank God he's, he's, his halfway house um, uh, paperwork's being processed now. I was able to get him acquitted on, on two of the chief counts, um, and I'm hoping that he's, he, he's going to be released soon. But, uh, you know, there's, there's all sorts of epiphanies that defense counsel are having about the state of the evidence now that it would have been, you know, a lot better had we known about this last year or a year and a half ago. It would have been actionable intelligence that we could have followed up on and actually used in our defenses. Um, again, I'm not alleging that there's, there's improprieties in the part of the assigned AUSAs or uh, Department of Justice attorneys or even, frankly, for that matter, the assigned agents. 
these agencies are so big and there's, 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 there's collaboration between so many agencies that things are getting bottled up in other agencies are not being disclosed. Um, or in the, in the instance of the, what is the omnibus discovery processing unit, the capital siege production unit, there's just too much getting bottled up there. And then they make disclosures to the defense on their own timetable, which is not informed by the needs of any one defense. And it's causing system failure, in my view. So now, again, a lot of people are shocked when they read the January 6th indictment of Trump. Uh, Judge Chukin just uh, put out that there's, he's setting the date for March 24th. So again, this is this is going down long before the election. And uh, he's facing that same D.C. jury that all of your clients have faced. And people are shocked that you're, you're basically criminalizing speech. Like, what, huh? But you're probably laughing because isn't this what you've been dealing with with your clients, that they get extra pretrial holding or sentencing based on political beliefs or statements or social media posting? Could you give some examples of that? Pretty much every case. Um, that involves conspiracy with others, um, or even just standalone cases, a major part of that prosecution will be social media posts or statements made um, that are sent by text or uh, uh, government witnesses who testify that, you know, this or that was, was, was said to them. And I've never seen uh, in 30 years now of doing criminal defense work um, a prosecution, we've never seen a prosecution on that scale, but one that is so geared and, and finely conscripted around expression that requires, you know, it, there's various aspects to it. They kind, of, they kind of drew a red line around the U.S. Capitol. Um, it's an arbitrary red line as best as we can tell now. We didn't know this at the time of the Oath Keepers trial, but we pretty much have it confirmed now that this, this court exhibit, which was, has been in every most every uh, January 6th case was created by somebody we don't know who, but it was created after the event. And early on, we, we, we realized that if your client went across that red line, the government's position was that the First Amendment stopped applying. So there's that, like, just terrible, egregious, blanket revocation um, of First Amendment protections but then in the cases in chief the government presents, you see what everybody said leading up to January 6th. During it, you see what everybody said in the, in the heat of the day. And then at sentencing, they often go to, you know, what everybody said. And one of the reasons that Ken Harrelson, I got one of the best results that you could get in the, January, in the uh, Oath Keepers cases, because Ken Harrelson was somewhat like a sphinx. He wasn't a big communicator. He didn't use social yeah. media. And, but, you know, keep in mind, all of those texts, which, you know, you could come in on Signal and just add somebody to your, to your text string. There was never any evidence that he opened those up, that he read them or anything like that. But when he was charged with conspiracy, that evidence went to his guilt, even though he never really... Uh, engaged or participated in his First Amendment right-protected expression. So what's different here, it's a glacial, massive change in U.S. Department of Justice prosecutorial policy 
where they're just premising a vast part of the process on what they're thinking. And they created a reward system at, at allocution and sentencing where you're going to get a benefit if you get your client to go up there and say that, that you were, you know, uh, inspired into doing these things because of something Trump said. And they've created wow. this system of rewards for, for sentencing allocutions. It's beneath, I'm going to say this very clearly for my former colleagues who are in the Department of Justice. This is beneath you. It's your obligation as a career civil servant to push back on political policy making that infringes on federal principles of federal prosecution and constitutional protections. Passively resist if you can't actively resist. Act appropriately, act legally, but you must push back just like I would advocate you to push back when the pendulum swings the other way and we're on the other side and we're seeing similar excesses. And, and, and that's the thing. This was coming. Everyone's so shocked and unprepared with the Trump indictment. This was coming for so long, and it was the funniest thing. So Ken Harrelson, he's one of the Oath Keepers, literally had no political statements or he had no social media, nothing. And ironically, that's why you're saying he had a better result because he didn't have political statements. But even the result was egregious. Could you describe... What he did and didn't do, even according to the government, um, and what the government asked for and what he ultimately got. He showed up for, uh, to provide uh, security details, walking security details, for what he thought were members of Congress. Um, he showed up the morning of at the ellipse, waited for an assignment, and brought what we call the last security detail. There were six or seven other active security details that the Oath Keepers were running. We call this the last security detail. Went from the ellipse to the Senate egg with a number of speakers, some of whom, you know, people, your listeners would recognize. There are about a dozen. While they were waiting, a group of provocateurs pushed through. It was a peaceful push through. It took four or five people to push through at 158 at the Northeast Gates the police swung around and started walking in front of uh, the people who pushed through. And within 40 seconds, all the barriers were down. Now, now they, they had, I believe, trained people to remove the barriers, but also there was an effect where you see people coming through a line of barriers at another end and the police are out in front of it and they're okay. So some people probably moved the barriers just, just because they thought they could. Yeah. A minute later, less than a minute later, the, a group in front of the East, I recounted both of these in two suspicious actors and material witness filings in May and, and uh, August of, of 2021, where I, I recounted 110 of these individuals who I believe merit suspicion or, or are material witnesses. They pushed through the steps. By 2.03, they, they got to the top um, near the East Columbus doors. There's this flashbang at 2.24. The door opens once. At uh, 2.35, um, the door was a second time. Just prior to that, at the conclusion of the National Anthem, uh, minders came down, got the Oath Keepers, said they needed assistance up by the door. The Oath Keepers followed the door open in 30 seconds. They went in. The only thing they did inside was say a prayer and walk around taking selfies. They recognized that there was an officer there who was agitated, Officer Dunn in the mini-rotunda, 
Harrelson went over, inquired what was wrong. He said, they're carrying my brothers out on bodies. He spun around. He organized the Oath Keepers to create a wall between the officer and the, 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 the peaceful protesters who were walking through the mini rotunda as much because they were concerned about his agitated movements and behavior as they were about any threat to, uh, threat to him. They kept the barrier up, and then they left. That's, that's the whole story so of what he did. they didn't break anything? They didn't uh, shove anyone? They didn't no, uh, absolutely not. attack anything? Just literally entered at that time and left? Those are those Oath Keepers. Ken Harrelson's one of them. And the government asked for 17 years, even though Officer Dunn right. originally testified that he actually tried to help, as you said, but then recanted it. Correct. And yes, and, and there's a backstory on that that um, I think ultimately will will see sunlight. And it's very damning on the part of the government. But the bottom line is the uh, Harrelson was sentenced to four years. Wait, four um, years for st- he's he's an army veteran, no other priors, no other priors. Yes. Got four right. years, and to be clear, the guy who literally burned down the Minneapolis police station got twenty seven months. Yeah, oh, and by the way, we were literally high fiving each other and through a big celebration to get four years because yeah. nobody, everybody thought that was impossible. No, and, and, and that, and that was the irony. The judge was like, yeah, you didn't have any political statements. You really didn't do much. So here's four years. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to say that. that wait, wait, that, wait, 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 Pratt, I, I buried the lead. Wait, right, wait exactly. a minute. Exactly, yeah, you hit it. <laughs> it's not the four years. Wasn't he held pre-trial without bail for like 20 months? Yes, he was. And he refused. This is really important. This is how I originally got interested in this case. Um, Everybody in the D.C. Gulag was required to get uh, the vaccine when it first came out. They put massive pressure on them to get the vaccine, but they realized that it's a violation, I believe, of the Nuremberg Protocols and the Helsinki Protocols and constitutional law to force somebody into a medical experiment without their consent if you're a prisoner. So they gave them the quote unquote right not to get the vaccine. But then what they did is they increased the torture if you didn't get the vaccine. So they punished you for not getting the medical experiment. In October of 2021, I filed a motion for detention release based on this. I laid out, I put everybody on notice in the district, you're violating international law, you're violating constitutional law, and there will be consequences And when I was contemplating filing this, I talked with Ken and I said, you realize that they're going to, if I file this and if, 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 if I try to get the truth out through your case, they're going to retaliate against you and make your life even more miserable. And you know what he said to me? He said, you know what? My life has pretty much been sacrificed already. I may as well get something good out of it and try to be a wall between me and the kids. That's what he said. And when I filed the the detention motion, there's a backstory on that. But the bottom line was they put him into medical isolation for two weeks, which is the worst form of torture. And I told him before, I said, medical isolation, is that solitary? Solitary confinement. It's terrible. And he has a really hard time with it because he has really bad PTSD. And they put him in the hole 
um, for a period of time. I'm not remembering that it was a long time. And he basically had like a psychic break. Um, his wife tells me that when she, when he came out, he was just blubbering and just sobbing. And, oh man. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's what they did. This is like China that you have to worry that you yeah. file a motion on someone's behalf uh, that they're going to retaliate. So again, this has been going on held 20 months pre-trial, no bail, um, for, for being accused of nothing more than, than, than trespassing, uh, public grounds. That's really what it ultimately was. Obviously, they soup it up with the with the you know obstructing uh, official proceedings garbage, but held like that. And here's where we are. So, man, I, I I mean, headed forward, I'm not seeing a resolution to this. I mean, this is the problem. I'm not seeing any push from Congress to get to the bottom of this. Um. Ultimately, aren't you going to need help from that 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 branch of government? It's always been my position that if this is in fact encroaching Marxism and, and you know some sort of a weird fifth generation takeover or whatever, that one of the deliverables that they're seeking is to destroy our institutions. So what I first say to people is you have to maintain faith in our institutions, whether it's the court, whether it's the Department of Justice, even the FBI, let's maintain our faith and let's insist on accountability, reform, and rehabilitation. The only way we're going to get that is if Congress does its job and starts uh, effectuating its oversight capability and start clipping the purse strings. If it doesn't do that, if, if, a, if a Speaker McCarthy doesn't just finally just stop the nonsense and let the information out. Americans can handle it. Transparency, you know, I did procurement fraud, grant fraud, corruption for 21 years. And what the entire system was based on transparency and getting the transparency. And for some reason that was revoked, that, that interest was revoked. And here we are, uh, you know, many, many years into a what is essentially a controlled demolition of some of our most sacred institutions where they're having them do things that, against the national interest, in my opinion. And the only thing I, I can do is where we're going to get the greatest amount of reform is by career civil servants who are inside the system, who push back, who push for reforms, who say no, who become whistleblowers. We need more we need we need numbers. We need people to step forward and defend the country. No, that's th that's it. I mean, it's shocking in how many people are willing to go along with something that is so antithetical to everything they've done their entire careers. I, you know, I always do this I have this mistake we're out of time, but if you could just real briefly move on to some of your activities on the COVID side. Just what, what's some news of, of things that you're working on? We have, I think, over 100 cases filed nationwide by a constellation of attorneys. Um, California is where the cases are most advanced, and it looks as if they're, they're getting through the motion to dismiss phase, and it looks like they're going to be fine. You know, there, there weren't dismissals on PrEP Act. Uh, in regards to adulteration or... Um, uh, uh, defective product of Rundesivir. 
it looks like the the prep act uh, gave no comfort to that you know there's an open lawsuit on that we're very hopeful there um we're filing cases also in michigan texas new jersey pennsylvania that's on the halt the hospital homicide front um we have plaintiffs from vietnam who have lost loved ones to the pfizer vaccine real quick 30-second primer is that by June of 2021, even though it shares a border with China, Vietnam had almost no, no deaths, fewer than 1,000 on a 95 million population. They rolled out the Pfizer vaccine to healthcare providers and to seniors. And within weeks, there was a massive pandemic. And by the end of the year, somewhere between 30 and 50,000 Vietnamese were killed. This had a greater effect than, say, linebacker one and linebacker two uh, in the 1970s, we carpet bombed them with the Pfizer vaccine and what, uh, they lost many, many loved ones. We, we have some plaintiffs. We're going to try to come up with a, with a legal strategy to go after Pfizer, um, that gets around a lot of the immunities that would apply to United States citizens. There's an evil twin for remdesivir. I can't recall the name. It's another crazy name. They're trying to get it out. Also, they just, just to rub it in our faces and to underscore the fact that if the FDA makes a recommendation, makes a health recommendation, it's your duty to resist and not comply. The FDA, which is totally captured, totally corrupt, and everybody in that, at that top level at agency should be cleaned out, just approved remdesivir for kidney patients, if you can even believe it. Yep. Even though we have recorded interviews of 1,000, actually over 3,000 recorded interviews of 1,100 of people who will tell you that their loved one got on the remdesivir, you look at the blood charts, by day three or four, their kidney function is being destroyed by the remdesivir. And all the research that is, is, is really reliable suggests that remdesivir kills your kidney. That's the latest update on that. So you're dealing with this on the legal front. I can't believe the amount of things you're in, in, involved in. Oh, stop and the 50. I forgot. Stop the 50. Do, uh, Dr. Lanzi, I'm sorry, Dr. Jancy Lindsay. Um, and the former Feds Group Freedom Foundation at formerfedsgroup.org. We're, go we're, we're going to stop mandatory vaccines in all 50 states because the state governments have abandoned us and the, federal, the feds have completely abandoned us. Yep. We're going to local counties, school boards, and we're educating them about how they have the authority and the power to ban vaccines in their school district or yes. in their county. Anybody who wants to pick up the torch and, 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 and lead the effort, please contact me. So, so how, how do people contact you on this? Bradford, actually Brad, B-R-A-D, at formerfedsgroup.org. Brad, Brad at, at formerfedsgroup.org. This is so, so important. We just talked about this before in Mississippi, the need for county governments, do what Collier County did in Florida. I know you're involved with that to say no to all funding uh, for to promote the vaccines. Again, it's not going to be self-executing, just exposing the absurdity. we got to get on the playing field in Congress and particularly in the red state and red, red county governments. By the way, as you're talking, I'm pulling up Vietnam because I remember this. Yeah, there's over 40,000 COVID deaths. Almost 100% of them were in the summer of 2021. It was a straight line just in that window they were they were partially immune to COVID, like a lot of these 
Asian countries did not have a problem with it before the vaccines. It is unbelievable uh, how this continues and continues. But if all we do is meme about it, it will continue. Thanks for everything you've done fighting on both of these fronts. We're going to have to do this again soon because I know you have so much more information to focus on, particularly on the COVID side. But I appreciate your presentation. And God bless you all for listening. And send me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Or again, Brad at, what is it? Brad at formerfedsgroup.org. Formerfedsgroup.org. Or .com or .org. I, I got them both. Formerfedsgroup.org and formerfedsgroup.com. All righty. Well, that's where it's at. And God bless you all. And thank you for listening.